You are listening to Seeking the Hidden Thing. A written version of this audio can be found at seekingthehiddenthing.com. A Deep Dive into Jacques Ellul's Autopsy of Revolution, Part 1. Revolt and Revolution. What is the difference between a revolt and a revolution? How does a revolt become a revolution? And why is it vital for our current moment to understand how this happens and what it means? I can't believe the news today. Oh, I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long, how long must we sing this song? How long, how long? Because tonight we can be as one tonight. Broken bottles under children's feet, bodies strewn across the dead-end street. But I won't heed the battle call. It puts my back up, puts my back up against the wall. Sunday, bloody Sunday, Sunday, bloody Sunday, Sunday, bloody Sunday, Sunday, bloody Sunday. All right, let's go. And the battle's just begun. There's many lost, but tell me, who has won? The trench is dug within our hearts, and mothers, children, brothers, sisters, torn apart. Sunday, bloody Sunday, Sunday, bloody Sunday. How long... How long must we sing this song? How long? How long? That was the first two stanzas of U2's Sunday Bloody Sunday. For me, I first heard the song when I was 17, after the 1983 live album Under a Blood Red Sky came out. It is still one of my all-time favorites. It had a raw energy. It commemorated the Bogside Massacre of 26 unarmed civilians at the hands of British soldiers on January 30, 1972, many of whom were fleeing or helping the wounded. All were Irish Catholics. It was seen as an event symbolic of an intolerable English rule over the Irish people. The massacre was a pointed accusation against what was seen as an unjust and oppressive occupation. The song asks the question again and again, how long? In the opening of Jacques Ellul's Autopsy of Revolution, he begins his book long examination of the nature, characteristics, and development of the idea, history, and sociology of revolution by observing that there are two enduring features of every historical revolt, the sense of the intolerable and the accusation of injustice and or impression. The rebel has reached the point where he cannot take it any longer. His limit has been reached. It is not necessarily a matter of any principles or concepts or even ideology. Rebellions occur because people feel they cannot go living the way things are. The current situation must come to an end. The rebel is fighting for the integrity of his being, for himself, and his life. History cannot continue any more along its current path. I talked about this recently, the idea of history, in a recent piece, rejecting the idea of history. A revolt, argues Alul, is anchored to the idea of history, not in its acceptance or formation. The rebel is not making history, rather the rebel is rejecting history. The rebel is saying, enough is enough. 
Alul draws our attention to the idea that rebellion is deeply related to an older idea of freedom, one that seems almost alien to us today. We generally look at freedom as the ability to make choices without any limits or restrictions. No one should be able to oppose upon us any unchosen restraints, bonds, or attachment. Alul draws our attention to an older idea of a freedom as release from the intolerable and unbearable situation. Prior to the 18th century, freedom had another significance, a directly human one, escape from the unbearable, from the design of destiny, whose immediate fact was the oppressor. To me, this resonates well with a biblical understanding of the freedom which God's saving grace brings to us. The freedom of grace is a release from bondage and oppression to the devil and to our own sinful nature. Human sinfulness and bondage to the evil one is humanity's intolerable, unbearable situation. The sacrifice of God brings release and sets the prisoner free. You are given a new beginning under the rule of a new and better king. A passage like this from Paul's letter to the Galatians makes much more sense if we understand freedom in this way. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5, verse 1. And it makes the framing of Jesus' commission of Paul on the road to Damascus more understandable. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Acts 26, 15b-18 The act of salvation is a liberation from the cruel and unjust rule of Satan. You are set free from the intolerable and unbearable oppression of the devil and are brought under the benevolent rule of God in Christ. This understanding of freedom also informs the ideas contained in the Declaration of Independence, which formalized the rebellion of the colonies against the British Empire. The language is clearly that of the intolerable situation, which induces a people to act. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. Having laid the groundwork, establishing the basic idea of the revolt, he then begins to delineate the difference between a revolt and a revolution. Alul argues that a revolution is always constructive in that it builds toward the future. The revolution wants to put in place a better tomorrow. A revolt, on the other hand, is always an earth-rending upheaval in the face of an unknowable future. Essentially, what separates a revolt from a revolution is that a revolution has a plan for the future.
A revolt does not lead anywhere. Even when a revolt succeeds temporarily, it does not know what to do with victory. It is not winning a revolt that makes a revolt into a revolution. A nomad can invade the city and conquer it, but not have any clue what to do next. So he takes his spoils and returns back to the wilderness from whence he came. The rebel does not know how to create history. The rebellion is a refusal, a rejection of the current tra trajectory of history. Thus, asks Alul, what would Spartacus have done with Rome as the leader of a rebellious band of slaves? After winning his victory, he retreats from power, from the necessity of organizing a society and the order he should have established. Thus, a rebellion is the willingness to embrace death as more tolerable than the current situation. It is the grasping of freedom, even if it means his own death and the death of his society. The rebel is willing to tear it all down for blessed release from the current moment. There is nothing beyond victory. The rebel moves only towards death. Understanding this, we must ask, has the current situation reached the point where things are so intolerable that death is the best viable alternative to things staying the same? There is still a lot of excess in the system. People complain a lot, but on the whole, life is still okay. At what point, though, with the current regime, will that situation change? You have been listening to a free preview. To listen to the remainder of this episode and gain access to the full archive of Seeking the Hidden Thing audio and written materials, head over to the main page at seekingthehiddenthing.com and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated.